Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you. My name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors here and part of the teaching team. And I want you to imagine for a moment, some of you, this is not hard to imagine because you're in the midst of this or just recently were or are about to be, but imagine that you are considering buying a new home. Some of you are like, yeah, I'm there. Some of you are like, I'll never buy another home. But just imagine it's time to get a new house. So you've set your budget, kind of put together your wish list. Here's the stuff that we'd like to have. Here's the stuff I have to have. Here's the stuff I like dream, like this would be great, but I don't need it, but I'd love to have it. You got your budget, you got your wish list, you get a realtor, hopefully you do that. That's sort of a smart move. They tend to have expertise you don't have. You get a realtor and, and, and your realtor starts you know, gathering all this options based off of your budget, based off the stuff you want, based off the location, based off schools, based off all the different things that you think you need. And your realtor starts sending you some of these options. Says, you know what, there's some things we could go look at. And so your realtor sends you a link uh, because that's how it all works right now. You don't just go see the house first. You have to see it online first. And so you get the link to this potential house and your realtor emails you and says, I think you're really going to like this one. And you click the link and you open it up and you see a picture and instantly you go, whoa, this can't be within my budget because this is like exactly what I want, right? And then you start clicking the other images, right? There's all these images because it's, you know, well done and, and you can kind of take a virtual tour and you look and you go, oh my gosh, that looks incredible. Oh man, that room, wow, that room, that would be a perfect bedroom for my kids. Oh, that'd be a perfect office. I work from home, that'd be, that'd, right? And you just kind of go through in each little room, you go, oh man, this is exactly what I want. And you keep sort of scrolling down to check the list price because you're like, there's no way that this house can be available for this price. And you, you email back and you're like, I want to see this house now. And so you meet your realtor over there and you get there and sure enough, you see the house and it's as good as it looked. The yard is manicured and it's rocks. So you're not going to have to do any work on it. <laughs> But you just see whatever you like, right? You, you see this house and your realtor's like, listen, this house is incredible. And you go, I know, I've seen it. I looked at the pictures. I've kind of looked from her and she goes, no, no, no. Wait till you get inside. And she brings you inside and, and she starts to show you room by room by room. And you just walk through each room and each room is better than the last one. And at the end of it, you go, there's no way that this house can be in my price. And the realtor says, no, this is absolutely in your price. This is your future home. That's what's happening in the book of Ephesians in verses 3 to 14. Verses 3 to 14 of the book of Ephesians, as we are in our second week of this series, is really this beautiful house of God's glorious gospel. The whole section, verses 3 to 14, is this beautiful house, and each verse is like all the different rooms of the house. And what we're going to do over really the next few months is just take you on a tour, not a virtual tour, but we're going to enter in to this house of the glorious gospel of God, and we're going to look at it room by room by room. We're going to show you the kitchen how God chose you before the foundation of the world. We're going to look at these beautiful offices and studies with all these great built-in panels because God has predestined you to be adopted as his sons. And we're going to look at how you've been redeemed by his blood and how you've been sealed by his spirit. And we're going to take a tour over these next months of all the different rooms of this beautiful home. 
And that tour is going to begin here today. Now, if you weren't with us last week, or if you're just new to the Bible or whatever, that's absolutely great. Let me just give you a little bit of what you want to know about this book of the Ephesians. It's called the the book of the Ephesians because it was written to a church in Ephesus. Ephesus was this major city in Asia Minor, what's modern-day Turkey. And uh, it was written by this guy named Paul. It says in chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Paul was not always an apostle. That word apostle means a sent one, a missionary type figure. He wasn't always that. He was originally someone who was opposing the Christian faith. Jesus met him after his resurrection and said, hey, you need to stop that. And he goes from being a persecutor to a promoter of the Christian faith. And he writes this book to Ephesus. We said last week, one of the unique things about this book is there's not a particular occasion. There's not a crisis. There's not a controversy. There's not a question that Paul's answering. It's a proactive book where he's saying, here's what it looks like to be part of the Christian faith and to live a Christian life. And we said last week that it answers all these questions related to areas that we're confused about in our day And as we look into tomorrow's world, one of the things that we have said is that tomorrow's world's confused about God. Is there a God at all? I mean, when we look at what goes on in the world, when we look at the pain, when we look at the suffering, when we look at how just broken things seem, is there a God at all? And if there is, is it possible that God is both powerful and beautiful? Because those things seem hard to, to imagine. That's one of the questions that this letter is going to answer, and in particular, this first section is going to answer. The Apostle Paul is going to say, yes, there's a God, and yes, he's powerful, and yes, he's beautiful. And so, as we look at this house of the glorious gospel in these coming months, here's the thing, is we don't want to just know these things or understand these things, we want to experience them and delight in them. See, Paul here, as he's talking about the gospel, he's talking about who God is, it's not just sort of this rote list of here's all the things that God did. It's delighting. In fact, verses 3 to 14, if you have your Bible, look at it, or if you have to scroll, you might even have to scroll based on your phone. Look at verses 3 to 14. That is one long sentence in the Greek. Our English translators have broken it up into many sentences, lots of commas, lots of clauses. It's one long, it's actually more than 200 words in the original language. It's this long blessing, praise, exalting in who God is and in what he's done in the gospel. And so I I was thinking, we've got to feel this somehow, the way that Paul felt this. And so that got me thinking about walk-up music. Some of you know what walk-up music is. If you've ever gone to a baseball game, I played college baseball, and we were never at our school allowed to have walk-up music. But I loved walk-up music. Walk-up music is what each player gets to pick before they come to the plate, right? So the music plays, and they say, now batting. And, and it's like this, kind of, yeah, or the relief pitcher comes in, and, and it really ramps everybody up. I never got to pick walk-up music. Like two years after I graduated, we got a new coach, and they got walk-up music. And I was like, man, I want some walk-up music. And as I've been looking at this Ephesians, I think it needs some walk-up music. So let's kill the lights. (laughs) Yeah, you can clap. That's fine. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory! I was just thinking Paul's kind of excited about this. I don't know where you go from there, but that horrified some of you, but you'll never forget it. And that's the house of the glorious gospel we're going to look at over the coming months. We're going to zoom into our first room here in verses three and four. And here's the big idea of today's message and of these particular verses. It's this, in Christ, we have total blessing of absolute grace. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for this glorious gospel. God, I pray that our hearts would be stirred, not through music and through lights and through dramatic reading, but through the truth by your spirit of what these words say and mean, who they say you are and who they say we are, and most of all, who we are in you. So God, open the eyes of our hearts. Give us affection and delight and joy, the kind of joy that Paul has had as he wrote this. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Here's our big idea. In Christ, we have total blessing of absolute grace. The first thing we're gonna look at is total blessing. We have total blessing of absolute grace. Look at your Bible if you have it. This is nice. As we go slow, we'll be able to look kind of word by word at some things. Notice that this blessing that we have is total in that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all participate in it. Look at verse three. Blessed be the God and Father... Okay, there's God the Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, there's the Son, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Spiritual blessing, that's the Spirit. See, sometimes you might hear spiritual blessing and you go, oh, that's like a fake blessing. Like, I think that's sometimes what we think. We think, oh, there's real blessings and then there's like spiritual blessings. Like you know, the ones you can't prove to anybody, right? Like, I guess it's just spiritual. No, no, no. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying this is a blessing that comes from the person of the Spirit. These are blessings of the age to come that is broken into history because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the sending of his Spirit. And so now this is a total 
blessing, blessing of the Father, blessing of the Son, blessing of the Spirit. Notice the word every in verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. This is a total blessing. God has given us every blessing. I love that. There's nothing left in the tank. There's nothing held back. There's nothing that's like, well, if someday you earn this level of goodness, well, someday if you kind of jump through these hoops, then there will be a second kind of blessing that I'll give you. No, 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 no. In Christ, we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And notice how complete this is, how total this is, that it's already happened. Look at what it says. Blessed be the Lord and, or the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He has. That means it's past. That means it's done. That means it already happened. Here's the thing. So many of us who are followers of Jesus, so many of our prayers are, Lord, bless me today. Bless this food. Bless me as I go to work. Lord, would you bless my family? Lord, would you bless our church? And I get what we're saying. What we're saying is, Lord, we want some of that reservoir of your blessing to, to be poured out on our lives and on the people around us. We want that. Here's the good news. If you're a follower of Christ, it's already been given. It's already happened. He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. There's no blessing somewhere stuck up in heaven that you don't have access to by the Spirit. We have total blessing. In Christ, we have total blessing of absolute grace. That's the next thing to focus on. Total blessing of absolute grace. Look at verse four. It begins even as, many translations translated or as for or because, it's in other words, Paul's kind of the, his overview statement for this whole section is verse three. He says, listen, you have every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. That's him describing the house. Now he's going to move into the rooms. He's going to say, okay, you want proof? How do we have proof that we have already every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places? How do we have proof of that? Well, that's what these next few months as we look through these verses is going to be. Is he's going to just take us room by room. Let me show you a blessing. Let me show you a blessing. Let me show you a blessing. And it's not an exhaustive list, but it's a really good list. And here's the first part of proof that we already have every blessing that we need is verse 4. Even as, or 4, because, you want proof? Here it is. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. Now, again, this is just one sentence in Greek, and almost all the English translators, as they break it down, put that phrase, in love, as the beginning of the next sentence, and that makes sense, but it's also part of this sentence. The thing that hinges all this together is the reckless love of God. It's the overwhelming love of God. You want proof that God has blessed you? He has loved you. How has he loved you? By choosing us in him before the foundation of the world. Look at a few of those phrases. He chose us. He chose us in him, in Christ. God chose us, his people, in Christ. Here's what this means. God's the matchmaker. Some of you like to be a matchmaker, right? You have a few single friends and you just know exactly who would be perfect for them, right? And, and you drop hints. Some of you like 
by like signing them up for an account somewhere. Like that's more of a hint. But like you try to be a matchmaker. God's the matchmaker. God's the one that said, you know who would go great together? Christ and his bride. I like the sound of that. And so he chose us in him. And then it says, before the foundation of the world. So get this. God didn't look at all the people and how they acted and how they behaved and what was important to them and go, you know what? On the basis of these characteristics that I see they're living out, I'll put them together. No, no, no. He chose us before the foundation of the world. So before he made anything, God put us in Christ together. Get this. Gloria Furman, she has this great book on Ephesians. You should pick it up called Alive in Him. It's very good. And she has a little illustration in there where she says, God did not do a last minute grab at the supermarket checkout. You ever do that? Right? Where you go, oh yeah, yeah, I know I need some gum. You know, and you grab, and you just go, oh yeah, I forgot I needed that. Oh yeah, I guess I'll get that. That's not how God chose us. God didn't choose us last minute. God chose us before the foundation of the world. Now here's what I know. I know that some of you, as you hear that, as you read this, that we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Here's what I know. I know some of you hear that and you think, wow, that's incredible. I, I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. Still, you gave yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never failing, reckless love of God. Wow, some of you just feel like that. Here's the other thing I know, and I think this is an equally understandable reaction. Some of you hear that and go, what? Huh? Like, okay, I kind of want to like that, but hold on a second. He chose us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world? Whoa, time out. What? I got some questions about that. And so here's what I want to say, especially for those of you who hear this and go, what? I don't get it. Or I got some questions. Or I even have some objections. Or that kind of rubs me the wrong way. Here's what I'd like to ask. Would you let today begin the conversation, not end it? Because actually what we're going to look at even more next week is what it says in verse 5, that in love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. We're going to look much more at what it means that we're predestined, that before the foundation of the world, God chose us. But for now, let this begin the conversation rather than end it. Here's the other thing that I want to just make sure you know about is we have a class coming up. We knew we were teaching this. We knew it would raise questions. And so we created a class that starts in about a month called Introduction to Reformed Theology. It's going to be taught by myself and Seth and maybe a few other of our pastors will pop in. And Reformed Theology is just kind of the name that often gets associated with this doctrine of election or of predestination. And that's what we're going to be talking about in the text. And so as we talk about it in the text, we know that some of you might go, whoa, 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 I got all kinds of questions about that. What's that mean for this? What's that mean for that? Great questions, important questions. And so this is a class for you to be able to sign up and get those questions answered. We'd love to have you be part of that. But for now, let it begin the conversation. And, and, I, and I want us to consider four things, four considerations about God's choosing that, that we think about from this verse. Here's the first one. This is divine revelation not human speculation. 
Right? So a lot of times, this teaching about election or about predestination will get categorized as, oh, that's what Augustine taught, or that's Calvinism, or that's what the reformers did, right? It's reformed theology. This is really, and people will sort of say, you know, I don't, I don't really get into like these human articulations of, you know, how people organize theology. I just, I just want what the Bible says. And you know what? That's the right impulse, <laughs> Because we don't ultimately answer to Augustine or Calvin or Luther or John Piper or anyone else. You don't answer to Luke Simmons. We answer to the Word of God. We're under its authority. Amen? And so the thing we have to remember as we begin this conversation is that this is divine revelation, not human speculation. It's here in the Scripture, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Like the only way to get rid of this is with scissors. I don't like that part, right? So, so we got to wrestle with what's that mean? And, and if you're going, ah, I don't understand that, that makes sense that you would wrestle with that. What does that mean? Now, here's the interesting thing. This is our second consideration, is Paul doesn't address the whatabouts in this passage. He just rejoices. There are other passages of Scripture Romans 8, 9, 10, 11, for example, where Paul answers this, where he says, okay, let's talk about what about this? Let's talk about what about that? Okay, if God's choosing these people for the foundation of the world, what does that mean for the other people? And, and Paul answers those questions other places in Scripture, but here he doesn't answer them. He just goes, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Isn't that incredible? To which we're supposed to go, yeah! And then maybe later we go, now, what did he mean by that, right? <laughs> but, but we want to let the text of Scripture shape not just what it means, but how we're to react to it. Does that make sense? And so I'm not right now going to pause and answer all sorts of questions about election and predestination. As valuable as those are, that's what that class is going to be for. We're going to try to let this text shape our conversation in these messages. Here's the third thing to consider, is that God's choice came from his love not our merit. So, do you see that? Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. So, this was a choice made by God before time began in love. It was a choice that came about because of his love, not because of our merit. And how do we know that it's not because of our merit? Well, look at what it says. That we should be holy and blameless before him. Notice, look, look at this, look at, your, look at your Bible. It does not say he chose us in him before the foundation of the world because we were holy and blameless. No, it says he chose us that we should be holy and blameless. What's the assumption there? The assumption is we were not holy, we were not blameless. Holy means set apart and fully devoted to God. Blameless means, yeah, we struggle with sin, but no charge really sticks against us. That's not true. Apart from Jesus Christ, we are unholy and we are full of blame, full of guilt, full of shame, full of fear, because we know that we have sinned against God. We've sinned against even our own conscience, right? You might even be a person that goes, I don't know if I believe in God, but here's what you know. You have done things that even you said you shouldn't do. So you're not holy. You're not blameless. None of us are. The scripture says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one is holy and righteous apart from him. So here's what that means. That means God's choice of us was on the basis of his love 
And his absolute grace, that's what grace is. It's unmerited favor. God didn't look and go, you know what? I'm going to get the good people on my team. He said, no, I'm going to get the dead people who are sinners, and I'm going to resurrect them and choose them and bless them in Christ. Here's the fourth thing to consider, and this will lead us into the next verse, or the next part of verse four, is that this comes with responsibility, not just privilege. So this God choosing us comes with responsibility, not just privilege, right? A lot of times you hear this, you were chosen before the foundation of the world, and you just think, yeah, look at me, I'm on God's team, right? Like, yeah, woo, privilege, I got it, yeah. But, but look at this, this comes with responsibility. We don't just get to go, oh yeah, this is great. We have a, a burden now. It's in the end of verse four. He chose us before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. Listen, we should be holy and blameless before him. We should be. That's how God created us. We're not because of our sin. We're not because of our rebellion. But now in Christ, we can be and we should be. So there's a burden to this. There's a responsibility to this, not just a privilege. We are called, as the people of God, to be holy and blameless. I, a lot of times as a kid, had, a, had my dad coaching the team that I was part of. And uh, right now, I'm a coach for my two older girls' soccer team. And I don't know if you ever got to, if you ever, any of you ever played sports or you know, learned something where your parent was in charge, but, but here's what I always found. People thought that if my dad was the coach, I was going to get special treatment. What they didn't know was that if my dad was, going to get, was the coach, I was going to get special treatment that was going to be harder than everyone else. Because when you're a coach's kid, everyone thinks, oh, that just means you get more playing time. Oh, that just means you get a better place in the batting order. Oh, that just means you get to play the position you want. And sometimes that's true. But most of the time, most of the coach's kids I've ever talked to knew it was hard playing for my dad. It was hard playing for my mom because they expected me to set an example. They expected me to be a model teammate, to be a model leader, to be a model player. They didn't, you know, if, if I gave them, you know, lip back, like I got special treatment. <laughs> right? Here's what this is saying. God has made you the coach's kid. You've been loved. You've been welcomed. And the expectation now is that you should be holy and blameless before him. There's an interesting thing here in the language, because what you have is, in verse 3, it says, God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world so that we should be holy and blameless. Here's what it is. Past tense, we've received every blessing. Present tense, we're called to be holy and blameless. So here's what this means. This means that God's choosing of us, God's electing of us, never in any way allows us to go, huh, well, God chose me, I can do what I want. No. If you have that spirit, if you talk to someone who has that spirit, they're missing the point of the gospel. The gospel says, no, when you were at your worst, when you were that one lost sheep that was lost and headed toward the cliff, God in his love pursued you and he set you on a path he said I want you to be mine and I expect you to live holy and blameless before me get this not be holy and blameless so that I'll 
choose you so that I'll love you, so that I'll pursue you. No, no, no. I love you. I've chosen you. Now live this new life. You get it? It's like being a coach's kid. In Christ, we have total blessing of absolute grace. We've looked at total blessing. We've looked at absolute grace. Now we need to look at that first phrase, in Christ. How is it that we have total blessing of absolute grace? It's in Christ. It's nowhere else. There's no other way to get it. It's only in Christ. Here's what Clinton Arnold, leading scholar on the book of Ephesians, here's what he says. He says, in Christ, this phrase, in Christ, is the most important phrase of this passage and for the letter as a whole. Whoa. Okay. Take note. (laughs) It's the most important phrase of this passage, and for the letter as a whole, the key for understanding this letter is recognizing that believers have a new identity in Christ. And he's absolutely true. We don't want to just take his word for it. Let's look at the text. Over and over and over, it says, in Christ, in him, in the beloved, in Christ, in him, in the beloved. It just says this over and over. Look at what we've already seen in verse 3, in Christ, verse 4, in him, the end of verse 6, in the beloved. The beginning of verse 7, in him. In verse 9, the end, it says, which he set forth in Christ. In verse 10, to unite all things in him. Verse 11, in him we've obtained an inheritance. Verse 12, so that we were who, who were first to hope in Christ might be the praise of his glory. Verse 13, in him you also, right? So over and over and over is this language, in Christ, in him. Where is the access to this total blessing of absolute grace, it's in Christ. It's in him. That's where it is. That's where it's located. That's where it comes from. Now, this in language is really important theologically to understand. And if we look at other parts of scripture where Paul fleshes this out, Romans 5 is a good example, where he talks about how because of our sin, we were in Adam. Adam was the first representative of humanity, and he sinned, And as a result, we inherited his nature, and we all are sinners in Adam. We're in this sphere of Adam. We're bound up in Adam. Here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying we are no longer in Adam, where we're defined, our identity is defined by our sinfulness. But no, our identity is now moved. We are now in Christ. We move from being in Adam to being in Christ. Get this. Get this. We are not just loved by God. We are not just saved by God. Here's what this is saying. In Christ, we are brought into God. Now, that does not mean that we ourselves become gods. Be very clear. But we are brought so so close into relationship with God that the Scripture just keeps using this word, in Him. We're united to Him. We're connected to Him. We're in this new dynamic, in this new relationship. That's what it is to be in Christ. How significant is this? Well, the Apostle Paul talks about this theme in 2 Corinthians 5, and look at this verse that he says. He says this in chapter 5, verse 17 of 2 Corinthians. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, Behold, the new has come. We looked last week at how Ephesians 1.10 talks about how in Christ, he's making all things new. He's uniting heaven and earth. Here's what this is saying. If anyone is in Christ, new creation. The new has come. Heaven is invading earth. And what's the proof of it? 
you and I. Anyone who's in Christ. We've been born again, the scripture calls us. We're made new. We are a new creation. The old has passed. The new has come. This is why we celebrate baptism. This is why the picture of becoming part of a Christian family, becoming part of the Christian church family is baptism. Because in baptism, we go down into the water just like Jesus went down into the grave. And we come up out of the water just like Jesus came out of the grave. And it's this symbol, not just that we've been washed, but that we are now in Christ. Do you get it? This is powerful. This is why Paul can say that we have received every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Is there any blessing unavailable to Jesus? Is there some blessing that if Jesus would just be a little more devoted, if Jesus would just be a little more obedient, if Jesus would just be a little, no, no. There's nothing that Jesus is waiting for to be blessed with. And if we're in Christ... The same is true for us. Notice the order of this verse as well. It's not become new to get in Christ. It's you're in Christ, so you become new. That order happens all over the place. We're going to see it a lot in the book of Ephesians. So the question is this. Are you in Adam or are you in Christ? You're one of two places. I, I, I don't know about you, I tend to not like either or. I was one a third way. Was there another way to think it? Is there another option? But, but and so I, I, if you're like, eh, I don't like being categorized. Oh, you're one of those people that doesn't like being categorized. You'll get that later. But. Here's the reality. You are in Christ or you are in Adam. It's one or the other. Either you have the old nature that has been shaped by your relationship to being part of humanity through Adam, who has rebelled against God, disobeys and disregards God's rules, disobeys and disregards even your own. Either you're in Adam or you're in Christ. Which is it? Here's how Paul continues this. He says, all this, this new creation stuff, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Here's what that means. That means that we've been brought into relationship with God and now we have a new ministry to tell others, hey, you can be reconciled to God. Hey, you can be found in Christ. Hey, you can be redeemed. You can be made new. That's our ministry. I love that because this is the same guy that said we were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. You go, well, well, which is it? Did God already choose it? Or can we like tell people about Jesus and maybe they'll become Christians? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You wait. No, no, exactly. You got it right. It's both. And so he continues, he says, that is, in Christ, there's that language again, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And so listen, if you would hear today, honestly assess yourself and say, you know what, I'm in Adam. I don't have this new life you're talking about. I haven't trusted in Christ. I haven't repented of my sin. I've tried to clean up my act a little bit, or I've tried to improve some stuff, but I, 
I'm not new in Christ. I've never trusted Christ through repentance and faith. If that's you, listen. I'm pleading with you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. Put your hope in Christ. You can be made new. You can be refreshed. You can have access to every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. God can make you not just a little bit better, but holy and blameless and new. Will you trust him? It's simple. You pray, you say, God, I've built my life on other things besides you. And now I want to be in Christ. Will you forgive me? Will you make me new? Will you help me to know what it is to love you and walk with you? You pray that. Pray, put it in your own words. Put your trust in Christ. Build your life on him. All things will be made new. That's the first room of the house. It's a pretty good house. Come back. There's more to it. Let's pray. Father, thank you that in Christ we have total blessing of absolute grace. This is not something we've earned. This is not something we've deserved. This is something you've given freely. And so we pray that we would experience the joy of our salvation, knowing that you have so richly blessed us in this way. God, I pray that it would lead those of us who are followers of Christ to pursue holiness and blamelessness, that we would desire to to obey, not because we have to, not because that gives us more blessing somehow, but because you've already given us everything. Allow us to live in the freedom and the joy of that new life, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.